0: 1996. It wasn't Disney then, but they they have the intellectual property now. Shadows of the Empire, the video game, Star Wars, Shadows of the Empire. Um... And forgive me. I, was that your first video game, or?
1: I didn't have anything to do with the video game. Um, it was a book, and by that point, I had worked with Lucasfilm so much. I had done the Radioland Murders after right. Young Indy, which was a pet project of George's um, movie. Not a lot of people saw, but it was just tremendous amount of fun for me yeah. because it was a it was a two hour radio play it took place in real time so I had to write two hours worth of kind of period 19 late 1940s radio music mm-hmm. in addition to underscore um and I just kind of finished that and and I just I was working with Lucasfilm a lot um Robert Townsend at Perez Serebin knew of the book that they were having uh they were commissioning to to write and that ultimately it would be a video game yeah. um and he suggested to Um, their head of marketing that what about we commission a score to be written to the book. And it was such a kind of a wild out there, weird idea, um, that they took it to George and he liked the idea. Mm -hmm. So that whole piece was conceived independently of the video game. I, I never saw anything or had anything to do with the video game that happened after the piece was written. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was, it was functionally a score to a book. And um, oddly enough, Verez Saraban is just now releasing uh, <laughs> the the whole thing on vinyl and a re-release of the CD they just announced this week.
0: Oh, that's uh, great. Now, vinyl, man, you can't go wrong with vinyl. We'll come around to some of these other, other records you worked on that went out on vinyl um, uh, right away. Fast forward another year to 1997 and I wanted to, Talk about this one with you um, because we shared a a common friend in this, and wasn't one that you wrote the entire score. But I know it was a very um, special thing for you, uh, as you had shared with me years ago, helping Jerry Goldsmith uh, on Air Force One. And um, you know, we all look up to Jerry and continue to, as though he's just this this monumental, um, almost godlike figure in music. Not just not just film music. I mean, he was a composer who knew how to compose that he happened to write almost everything in his career for film and television, you know, was what he did, but his chops were unbelievable. Now, the story goes, and many of our listeners know this, that um, Randy Newman was originally brought on to write the score to Air Force One, and for whatever reason, the score wasn't used, and they made a change. Jerry came on, and he had about two weeks to write the score-ish. That's the story. And um, the fact that he had you on... Me knowing Jerry not only you know as as a friend those last few years of his life, but certainly having listened to so much of his music that 's a big deal Jerry asking anyone to have him uh, you know create the need in his mind and the trust that he knows to ask somebody to help him write music for a film of his, yeah. and that 's yeah. why I wanted to bring this one up because um what a special moment that must have been for you um, so why don't you just kind of help? personalized for us what what that meant to you because i know that jerry means a whole heck of a lot to you so what was that moment like and and what was the environment like on the picture i mean two weeks for a film like that is it's a little nutty
1: it was three weeks three weeks but it was three weeks to write 90 minutes of music man so i had 30 jerry had 60 um but that's that's from conception to the dub stage. Mm-hmm. You know, he had to write all the thematic material and then 60 minutes of music. Um, so it was it was really tight. by uh, then, Jerry was a friend. I had been to Europe with him several times with Robert Townsend mm-hmm. doing re-recordings uh for Verez Sarah band as a conductor. We would both go over on trips. Um, to work with Royal Scottish National Orchestra mm-hmm. to do some recordings. And I would do some a uh, few Bernard Herman albums. Jerry would hang out, he'd be in the booth helping produce in there. Then he would go out and in the next session and he would do Torah, 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 and I'd sit in the booth. So, cool. so we were traveling in Scotland together and we we became friends, which was lovely and, and something I'll cherish always. Um so, yeah, so I got this phone call and I said, you know, kid, I'm in a bind. Can you help me out? In <laughs> this great voice, uh, this smoker's voice. Yeah. Um, yeah, can you help me out? And it's like, yeah, man, whatever you need, I'm there for you. <laughs> so that day I hopped in the car, went over to his place, went to his studio, and he had all the thematic material sketched out and maybe – Three or four of some bigger cues, uh, and he gave me the sketches to those. And I just started feeding me sequences. Um, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to do this. Um, and it was just, you know, all hands on deck, man. It was just twenty-four-seven for three weeks, just yeah. right and write and write and write. And you know, I would do mock-ups. I'd send them to Jerry. He didn't really have time to go over my stuff, so. For the most part, the first time he heard everything I wrote was at the session, which, you know, is kind of unbelievable now. Back then, mock-ups were much more crude. Yeah. And he just, he didn't have the bandwidth. You know, he said, I would trust you. Um, but Wolfgang Peterson, the director, would come over to my place and I would play him mock-ups. And uh, so, yeah, so it was just, just you know, being thrown into the fire. And then getting to the sessions was so much fun. It was it was interesting in a way because it was a big movie, bigger than any I had ever worked on. Uh, but I wasn't really in the hot seat. You know, I was in the hot seat in that I didn't want to disappoint one of my idols. But... I knew enough about the music he was writing and I knew enough about the way he wrote music that I felt like I could, I mean, my job was to be invisible. You know, my job was for you not to be able to pick out my cues from Jerry's cues. That was the goal. There was no goal of, well, let's slip some McNeely in there. (laughs) That just wasn't something I ever thought. So, but I'm, I'm on the cue, the mid cue. Um, I remember we were playing it, rehearsing it for the first time and he stops the orchestra and he pulls me up to the podium and he goes, kid, you're working way too
0: hard here. And
1: then he gets out his red pencil, take this out, take this out, take this out, take this, And he just starts pruning, right? Yeah. he says, take this to the copyist, have them recopy the parts, we'll do it in the afternoon session. So, you know, and you listen to that cue yeah. now and it's still a lot going it's on. Lot. So I must have overcooked the hell out of it. <laughs> Halo flight, we are cleared to commit pairing zero nine zero. Jettison tanks, push it up. These bigs, how far away are they? You're mine. Right.
0: We've got one coming at us. Countermeasures are activated.
1: That's right. oh. Here. u.s fighters this is air force one
0: we are under attack where the hell are you bill one. macy bill macy doing this thing from the cockpit along with harrison um yeah you know it's a great scene it's filled with so much action and vibrant energy and when i first saw this movie i'll never forget the hijacking scene you know i mean when they they're they coming in and they finally land at ramstein air force base and um heck of a score man and you know your contributions shouldn't be ignored i know your your job was to be a ghost and you know it let's just talk about that for a second it is not easy to do that kind of work um yeah. you know you you need to know what you're doing in order to particularly at the level of goldsmith be able to do the things that jerry knew how to do without sounding like it w- wasn't him or it was too much of you that's not an easy thing man so you know y- you deserve a lot of credit on that
1: I think, thank you. I think that a lot of it had to do with getting to know the man and spending those hours in Scotland, sitting in the booth producing scores that he had written before. So I had my nose in his scores, yeah. going back to what I said about knowing, you know, knowing what you're doing, had my nose in his scores a lot. And then going out to dinner and hanging out and talking about how he felt about music, kind of just getting the feel and the of the man. Um was an enormous help. Then going into Air Force One, his material was so strongly conceived. It was so tightly, you know, grouped this. That, I mean, the economy that Jerry wrote with is extraordinary because his material is so strong that he's able to expand it and develop it in ways. But if you if you break down Air Force One as a score, the, the amount of seeds that the cues are kind of grown from there's maybe a half a dozen of them and then out of those comes this extraordinary variety of music but it it all comes back to those kind of six groups of material so when it's that well organized when it's that you know strongly conceived the the parameters are pretty well drawn you you know how to color within the lines yeah you know um and uh I remember it being hard work, but I remember feeling a sense of freedom because it was so strongly conceived. You, you mentioned that the hijacking scene, which you know, when I've taught film classes, I always use as an example because the sequence is—it's almost nine minutes long. Yeah. I think it's an action sequence. It's nine minutes um, with all of this parallel action going on, um, but it, in essence. If you were to put it into Pro Tools or whatever and look at the waveform, I mean, it kind of over nine minutes. Yeah, it's just this. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a straight line. You know, it's a, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah it just material. builds, builds,
0: and builds and builds.
1: But, 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 but he gets this kind of groove going. I have the scores i have his his sketches to that sequence copies of his sketches and it's always interesting to show them to play it for a a group of young composers and have them hear the piece of music and then have them look at the score and i said what's after i play it for him i said okay what's your first takeaway from looking at the score and they said where's the rest of it
0: yeah i believe what what do you mean yeah
1: that that can't be all of it there was, and the 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 page looks empty. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. inter orchestration score
1: because yeah. it's such strong material. Yeah, doesn't need the page black with dots. Yeah, you know, he knows exactly how to build tension. Yeah, and his economy of material means that he can write a nine-minute sequence. Yeah, and and get through it.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, so, talk about technique, and that's the kind of stuff that you you. I mean, you know, at that point in his career, I mean, let's be honest, Jerry, even early in his career was incredible. But, you know, by that point in his career, he had so many tools on his belt, you know, not not the least of which a, a good comp would be like a Benjamin Britten. you know, I mean, his late operas, particularly Billy Budd, you can hear a lifetime's worth of tools and techniques that are used in that opera. And you hear that with every yeah. kind of next Jerry Goldsmith score. And when you're under pressure like this, you know, you need the technique. Um, and you can hear, I mean, you know, it's like, okay, he knows that, yeah, that material that you, you're referring to he, all he, you know if he puts the entire violin section down there and within the first fourth of their instrument they're going to sound yeah. huge you know so it's yeah. things like that where it becomes an orchestration game and that's a great cue to share with a young class it's a really great cue
1: i think so too it's a, it's a masterwork, really um and jerry was a grand master yeah
0: um yeah we miss him so much Let's pivot a few years later into the next decade, 2008. You mentioned earlier, uh, the Tinkerbell franchise, um, which has turned into a huge thing. I mean, it's six movies. It's uh, themed entertainment. Um, it's video games. It's, it's the whole kit and caboodle. And, um, I'd love to share a clip from the lost treasure, the second one, uh, which we'll look at in a moment. But, um, did you have any idea that that was the idea of Disney to eventually blossom that thing out if it went well on that first one, or was it very isolated?
1: No, I mean, in terms of what, whether they wanted this to be a franchise, did I have an idea? Well,
0: did they? Did they have? Well, not just a, so much a franchise, I guess, but did they have plans to kind of blossom that into multiple movies? Yes. No,
1: it was, it was very much conceived as a franchise.
0: It was Um, interesting.
1: Yeah. And from, from day one, I was tasked with writing the music of a whole world. Um, And I had to do a a full on presentation Hmm. for John Lasseter and Chris Montan and Matt Walker and all the the senior executives um, at the studio. Uh, about the the music of the new Tinkerbell world, and it was John's uh, John Lasseter's concept coming in that uh, the, the idea being that the fairies create nature, mm. so there are snow fairies that, that create winter. There are well, Tinker is a, Tinkerbell is a Tinker fairy. They make things yeah. of the of 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 nature. You know that each fairy group has a different function in creating nature. So I thought, all right, well, that's very interesting. And I wonder how we could translate that into music. Mm -hmm. So I started with just getting a bunch of samples and doing samples myself of, of nature sounds Mm. of crickets and whales and birds and, and water and everything I could and kind of morphing and cutting them into like crickets. I've just made into a little shaker, you know, out of crickets i'd make all of these little instruments um and i made a whole palette of sounds built from uh, musical sounds built from sounds in nature and then i had to conceive three different themes one for the overall franchise for the fairies a the fairies theme and a tinkerbell theme and then a, a, a sub theme for this first picture that was unique to this picture but the first Two themes: the fairies theme and the Tinkerbell theme were to be overarching themes for the whole franchise. Um, so that was, you know, by itself, it was a, it was an enormously intimidating meeting because it was like I was on a stage with them in the audience, and I had a piano. So I, I sat down first, and I played the t- Tinkerbell theme just very simply at the piano. Uh, and then I played it in a couple different versions, a couple different tempos. And then I played a kind of fully orchestrated sample mock up of how that would be used in a main title sequence. Same thing for the fairies theme. Then I even brought out a bunch of instruments that I play, um, you know, these uh, all different sizes of ocarinas mm-hmm. um, and and wooden flutes and Irish flutes. And I brought these out and I said, you know, you'll hear Irish flutes all over, yeah. especially the first score. Well, that's all me. I'm playing all those. Oh, really? And I and I brought them out because it's something that I do. So I thought, well, if I can kind of show them how I'm going to get around on a on a jig on a reel on this thing, it'll help get me through this presentation. <laughs> it's something visual.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: Um, anyway, so that went very well, and they were happy. And uh, then it was ten years of just enormous fun, challenging, satisfying. Uh, work with a great team of people and being able to give, you know, being able to have the resources to create pretty much anything I wanted in the score. Uh, They, Disney didn't say no. When, when I said, well, okay, we need at least 80 pieces for this portion of the score and the rest has to be 60 pieces. Fine. You need a choir. Fine. You need a children's choir. Fine. There's this group of special singers uh, that, that, sing a a particular kind of, it they call it mouth music in Ireland. Mm -hmm. You want to go over to Ireland and record them? Fine. You know, any kind of bit, you know, idea you had to visualize, they were there to help you realize it. Yeah. So it was just, it was just enormously fun and enormously gratifying, especially during a time period where there were not a lot of orchestral scores. Mm. You know, I was getting to let it fly pretty much once a year with a huge orchestra and lots of music and very dramatic situations, writing the kind of stuff I like to write. Yeah. Uh, I considered it a, kind of a haven from the, you know, the the, the sound effects driven scores right. that were so popular for a while. It's like, yeah, okay, but I still get to do this, yeah. which is what I love to do. And, yeah. and I would, was at the time and I'm still very grateful for that.
0: Let's take a look at this scene from the second film, uh, The Lost Treasure. And this is right uh, as Tink is bringing the autumn scepter to the, uh, you mm-hmm. know, the processional, so to speak. It's a, it's a wonderful scene. It's really quite beautiful.
1: Season, you are entrusted with a great responsibility. Where is the Fall Scepter?
0: Uh, th- there were complications. But it's ready now, Your Highness. This way, dear. Fairies of Pixie Hollow, I, I present, present the Autumn Scepter. Just wait, wait, wait. Come on, come on. Ah! Please work, please work, please work. So one of my favorite things in that scene is, is how, um, how we've gotten there. You know, this, this whole kind of adventure that takes place before we get to this final kind of processional and the revealing of the Autumn Scepter. And, of course, they're nervous on so what's going to happen here. And, and it turns out to be this incredibly beautiful thing. And, you know, there's I, I noticed um, a significant jump in the animation type from the first one to the second one. However, yeah. the jump in the music, you felt like you were in the same world. And, you know, you had some variations here and some new things, new tunes here and some new ideas there. But what I love so much about that you can do that kind of a jump visually, but the music can still root you in this sonic scape that makes it sound and feel familiar. Um, It was done so well in the second one. And, uh, you know, so I I, I love this scene.
1: Well, thanks. Um, Yeah, that was um, those voices you heard there. That was that Irish Hmm group of singers I was describing, um, led by this really talented guy, David Downs. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we we created this world and the, as the scores went on, each one was was different and unique in its own way, but they always felt like they were cut from the same cloth or that was my goal was that they were to be the same world, musical world universe. As starting with the first one, and yes, there were big jumps, um, mainly in getting the the animation studio that had done the first one. They they were now up to speed. They had found their footing. They had found their their, their people, mm-hmm. the, the right artists, yeah. and you know they had really built the infrastructure on in the first one. But now they really were able to kind of plus it out on the second one, and they only got better as they went with every one.
0: I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's looking back, you know, a lot of creative contribution has gone into that one from so many angles to create this franchise. And it's interesting to hear you say that it was designed that way. It doesn't surprise me the way they think at Disney, and, but you know, it all, at the same time, you never really know where something is going to go. Um, yeah. And
1: the idea was, yeah, ice shows and to build yeah. a Tinkerbell world yeah. at at the theme parks. Yeah. Which is great. And in um, yeah. costumes and merchandising and whatnot, it was by the time, by the time we kind of finished up, it was, Definitely in the multi-billions of dollars. Whew.
0: That's a franchise. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um, so American Dad, uh, that's been going on for a long time now. I mean, what, 11, 12 years-ish? Um,
1: uh, we're on our 14th, 14th season now. Season, which means right around 12 um, years, yeah. And I started 11 years ago. Yeah. So I was not involved in the first three seasons. The- um.
0: So the relationship and, um, you formed now with sure. Seth since then, um, has bloss- Sorry? The, the relationship with Seth McFarlane that has kind of blossomed since has turned into a lot of really interesting things. Before we get to what some of those other things are, um, what are some of your, as far as a creative outlet, and if we're talking about your creative outlet through this show, um, what are those things for you? What What's fun about this for you? Or what are the things that you kind of really enjoy doing on this one? Because it's this show is just so dang funny. On American Dad, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you never know what they're going to throw at you, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm asked to do all this stuff that I have, you know. I have to run out and like, okay, I've got to figure out how to make a credible EDM track, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or um, we just finished a, a a show with a Beastie Boys a sound alike of a Beastie Boys tune um, called Sabotage that we did with Weird Al Yankovic. Um, you know, (laughs) you just never know what's going to be thrown at you. And, uh, and and then sometimes you have to do big orchestral scores and, and, uh, you know, it's just endlessly entertaining.
0: If you're looking to sacrifice a virgin, your prayers have been answered. No, it's boulder pushing season. Every time the volcano erupts, each village sends their strongest man and they race to push a boulder into it. Does that, like, stop it from exploding? No, it's just fun! Micah's from our village. Hey, I've seen him around. I'm Team Micah. The is so steep, I can't believe how strong they are. Uh-oh, our boy's in trouble. <laughs>
1: still scoring under these conditions, I was able to put together a a remote orchestra. Um, And so we're we're still scoring it, but everybody's recording their parts in their bedrooms at home. Yeah, it's a big thing. We developed a whole protocol. We developed a website for file delivery for them to get their parts, for them to get mock-ups and sessions in whatever format they're using. Um, they can then mute their part in the mock up and play it to the mock up then a file a whole another file system for them to deliver their files um, it's, it's enormously complicated but we're still scoring it I'm writing a show right now
0: Wow. Uh, it's yeah and I know, I know a lot of the cats around town are doing that and hearing their they're kind of uh, you know, I mean I talked to a lot of these guys on the phone just catching up and and um, it's interesting to hear you know the the professional opinion of what, what that means, you know, we're all being forced into that and it's a solution and it's working to some degree. And then, you know, there's the, um, there's the concern of, you know, I hope that my, my individualistic quality that I'm known for kind of comes across, you know, and so there is kind of some trepidation I think it's safe to say amongst some of our colleagues in town, because there's that, there's that added element of, well, there's so many elements, but the, the, the biggest one that you lose, of course, is that visceral energy of people playing together. And regardless of the the, the the acoustical properties of what that means in the same room. Um there's a lot that goes into music making that does have a lot to do with that physical humanistic connection that you have to the player next to you or the players six Indeed. rows away from you. Without question. You know.
1: This this is purely designed to get us through this time and not as yeah. a replacement um, yeah. it's 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 really ultimately much more doable on a show like american dad because in a 20 some minute show we might have 20 25 cues most of those won't be longer than five seconds right so you've got these tiny little pieces of music That this kind of situation lends itself to that mm-hmm. to, to doing that well um it's it's uh, it would be much more difficult. In fact, I don't think we could. I was discussing this with Seth McFarland the other day about talking about the Orville. We have yeah. season three coming up, and there's just no way yeah. that we could ever do it because the Orville has these long, sometimes five, six minute cues, yeah. sometimes free conducted. You know, you, you can't you can't get that kind of performance with everybody playing. By themselves, not hearing what everybody else is doing. Yeah. So yes, it works very well for American Dad, and and I, I would think less well for other things. Brought to you by Senate Concerts.